You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. I'd like to welcome everyone to Legally Bliss Conversations and a special welcome today to Kimberly Bennett. Kimberly is an avid traveler, lover of technology, legal industry disruptor, speaker, subscription design strategist, and an attorney who runs K. Bennett Law LLC, a boutique virtual brand strategy law practice offering on-demand and subscription legal services to CEOs and executive teams growing and scaling bold and activist brands that transform the world. In addition to running K. Bennett Law, Kim is the co-founder of Fidu Legal, co-founder of Atlanta Legal Tech, past board member of ABA Tech Show, is an advisor to Case Text, and has been recognized as a woman of legal tech and Fast Case 50 honoree. Kim holds a JD from Villanova University School of Law and a BA in psychology from Spelman College. You can find Kim hosting her podcast, Watch Us Lead, teaching service professionals how to add subscription services to their businesses and facilitating workshops and presentations on anti-racism, well-being, and innovation in the legal industry. Holy moly, welcome, Kimberly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow, what what a resume. And I know that that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg with you. Um, one thing about Kimberly is that I know that you've always been a disruptor um, in the legal world. So let's let's kind of talk about that. When did you first realize that you were going to be a disruptor? Hmm. My, my mother would say I've always like just gone to the beat of my own drum and just like asked a bunch of questions, maybe didn't always do it exactly the way I was told. So I don't know, but um, I think at some point I decided like there were things in the legal industry I didn't really love. And then I was like, something had to change. So somewhere along those lines. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get to that. Um, but I want to go back a little bit um, chronologically and ask you, why did you decide to go to law school? You were a psychology major um, and you ended up going to law school, which I think is, sounds like a great undergrad, uh, you know, for law, law in particular. So what, what ultimately instigated that? Well, fun story. So let's see, why did I go to law school? Well, so when I was an undergrad, I worked for a Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice, like at the very end. And I was at a program, I worked in public um, affairs specifically, and I was at this program um, where two women, they were presenting about girls in the juvenile justice system and recidivism and like, particularly, um, you know, black girls or, you know, women of color, not women, they were not women, girls of color that were in the system. And like the things and issues that they came up with as just being girls and having the intersection of like puberty and growth and like, you know, being 
young black and brown girls. And I, it really touched me what they were working on. And then I found out they were JD PhD, um, JD PhDs that were, that were presenting on the topic. So at Spelman, I went to my advisor and I was like, well, I met these women. Um, like, <laughs> what is it that they do? Yeah. How do I do what they're doing? And, um, being in public affairs and juvenile justice is an interesting place to be in because of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, but she told me, well, they, went to law school and probably did like some dual degree. And um, so I went to law school pursuing actually um, a dual degree in both okay. um, law and psychology. So oh, cool. um, I actually ended up dropping out of my PhD side, but while I was in law school for five years and I was in a JD PhD program. So I specifically looked for law schools that offered a JD PhD program. There was only a few at the time that did. And so I, I, I the undergrad experience and working in juvenile justice led me to want to apply to law school and and really think through like, well, how can I work in that space? Clearly, I'm not in that space today. Um, but I think the psychology has always helped me um, in, in ways that I really couldn't imagine, particularly after dropping out of a PhD program after being it for so long. I was definitely like, I'm never going to use it. I was kind of salty about dropping out because I'm super achiever and like leaving that level of academia and not completing the PhD was tough for me for a lot for many years. But mm -hmm. I had a mentor at the time who told me, you will use it. You will use it. I'm telling you. And I kind of was like, whatever. But I always say hat tip <laughs> to Lam Dr. Lamia Barakat because she um she was right. So a couple of years ago I emailed her and I was like, okay, you were right. Thank you. Yeah. And um sure she loved that. Yeah. Yeah, she was. I mean, she's great. I mean, she's always been great. She was like, you're welcome. So excited to see all all of your success. And because we're still we're like Facebook friends. <laughs> and um yeah, but psychology has always been a really great part of who I am. And I'm I'm actually glad I was a psych major. And I, mm. even then, I I don't know what I, I was going to be a doctor. When I went into undergrad, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I hate blood. So that was like not smart. <laughs> I even, I even sat for the MCAT. I did all the different things. Yeah, but yeah. I think it was really helpful not to be quite honestly, like, I don't know, I didn't do poli sci, but like to be a traditional flow into law school. And I guess that still sits where I never was traditional. I didn't come out of law school traditionally. I didn't go into law school traditionally. So, you know. Let's talk it... about law school then. Okay. So yeah. I want to know what your experience was like and not coming out traditional. I want to know about that. Yeah. So, okay. This will be, I actually enjoyed law school, <laughs> but I was given really good <laughs> advice. I know. I know. People were like, what? I mean, okay. I, I was successful in law school. I did pretty well. So I think that had a part of the enjoyment, right? I think if you, law school is tough. So prior to going to law school, I mean, Spelman was a great preparation for it, but prior to going to law school, um, I studied abroad for a year as well. And mm -hmm. I studied in England and we, it was one test is it in England for when you, when you, um, when you were an undergrad. So even that I had that preparation going into it, like, oh, so this will make or break me. There's no midterm. There's no little other things you could do. You just have to learn and take a test. So coming into law school, I already had that experience. So that wasn't as worrisome. And then when I was there, I really had great, great professors at the time. We had amazing professors at Villanova that were, I mean, I took, you know, critical race theory. I took feminist legal theory. I took poverty in the law, education law. And I was given the advice. Um, my father's also a lawyer, but I was given the advice by my father to not do anything related to law school one day a week. He doesn't even remember giving me this advice when yeah. I talked to him about this now, yeah. but he was like, do nothing, do nothing, go do something else. Just don't do it. It's not, don't, don't spend every day and every night worrying about it. So I didn't, I watched a lot of sex in the city. I watched a lot of like TLC at the time, like, you know, 
house swapping and all the stuff, right? I lifetime was my favorite thing on a Sunday. So I I tried not to overstress myself in law school and I just started making decisions that work for me. Um, like uh, we had an intern this summer and she's just starting law school. And I told, she was like getting overwhelmed with briefing. And I was like, yeah, by midway first semester, I stopped briefing. It was too time consuming. So there was just things that I did to content manage my well-being in law school. And then I just had five years to do, take a bunch of classes, really was able to just take different classes and being a JD PhD, we also took a lot of intersection classes like law and psych classes. So I just enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. So what was your favorite class? That's a good question. What was, um, hmm, I would say my top classes were children in the law, probably something, I think that was called children in the law. Is that right? Um, poverty law, feminist legal theory. Those are some of my probably favorite, which the intersection classes, like the law, law and psychology were great too. But like, I really liked, they, they talked a lot about the criminal intersection. I liked more of the social science intersection, which was like feminist legal theory, poverty law, education law, children, the law, those, those classes helped you think through some pieces. And like one of our professors is now the Dean. She's the Dean at, um, gosh, she's going to kill me. I forget but she's the Dean in New York city for a law, for um, a law school and her feminist legal theory class was great. Like we, we read a book called nickel and dimed and it just put perspective and, you know, helped you understand as a legal professional, what are you talking about? What the, the, the laws and the policies that are, that are created from the arguments that we make are impactful. And so let's, let's talk about that impact. So I really enjoyed having classes like that. Yeah. So are you still in touch with many of your law school professors? Um, like tangent, like Facebook, I only started using, I mean, I don't know when Facebook came out, I can't remember, but Facebook was kind of becoming a thing more at that time. So some of them are on Facebook. So the ones that are on Facebook, yeah, like one of my deans I'm still in touch with one of my, you know, my, my mentor from, um, um, one of my advisors that I was talking about, Dr. Lamia Barakat. So she's there. Another dean, I see everything that's happening. So we, we, I can see some of the things and we just see yeah. where, you know, where they're going in life. So it's, it's good. That's cool. I, uh, so like, I really love that, that one little nugget of wisdom about from your father passed to you mm -hmm. on down to you and then pass on down to anyone listening to this is really think about taking one day a week, right. Where you just disconnect and you're not in the law because your, your brain really does need some time yes. to absorb, right. And to rest. And even if you're not actively learning, like your brain is still processing things. Yes. So taking that day off is I think such a great, beautiful piece of advice. And thank you so much for passing that along. You're, so, and here's, I'll give one, one more since we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, when it's time to take a test, the other thing I got always eight hours of sleep. I got a full, I just stopped. Yeah. I was like, that's it. That's all I'm going to know. And I went to sleep in eight hours before every exam bar everything. And it served me well. Good, 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 good. I think that's really key because I think that people tend to plow through and we mm -hmm. don't, we underestimate the importance of a solid night's rest. Let me mm -hmm. ask you this and, and maybe your background will be helpful. What about in those situations where, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety around relaxation, right? Do you have any thoughts about that kind of with your, with your experience and, you know, your father having also been a lawyer, your psych major. Like I know that when I was a young lawyer, even though I might be telling myself, I know I need to go to sleep, you know, try to get my eight hours of sleep. I felt like a lot of anxiety around that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and like, I'm not, I manage anxiety too. So like, yeah. I want to be clear that while I understand ways to cope and manage doesn't mean I always activate them very well. So there are <laughs> moments, you know, so sure, I am, sure. so, um, but I think it's just recognizing it, getting the support, going to therapy, you know, knowing that all of these are like skills and lessons and things that we're just not, we're not taught enough, you know, how to deal with anxiety, depression, you know, like questioning, you know, the different thoughts that were that come up. Um, I mean, you know, therapy has been wonders for me. I think that's always been helpful talking through it, but like part of what the therapy had helped me to do when you were talking about plowing through was recognizing that I am actually a, like, I will plow through, I'm, I will say yes to things yeah. and maybe too much so that it does take its toll emotionally, physically, mentally, you know, socially, whatever. And so starting to recognize when I have said yes too much, or I am just plowing through, or I'm getting to those moments of high anxiety and then figuring out how I can bring myself down. So like, I'm, we, we read a book inside of like, um, design the new legal, the community. We, we read a, we read a book last quarter called peak mind. It's that's probably not the full title, but we'll get the full title. And it's talking about meditation and like the, the, how helpful it is. And I'm just kind of going back through it now. Um, you know, just really, understanding that we're not taught these skills and they are things that we have to learn and we have the capacity to learn them at any age, at any time and start leveraging them. And, you know, I think perfectionism is something that I always try to work through and just, just understanding who I am and how I show up. And then the things that are not helpful, trying to, when I see them come up, just recognize, okay, this is happening. How do I combat it? Sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I fail and that is what it is. And I move forward. But I think, you know, leveraging some psych research, leveraging meditation research, neuroscience research, and like what they tell you about the brain and how we think, and like not being focused on all the productivity culture that we hear, efficiency and effectiveness over just purely being yeah, productive or doing, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. Yeah. Wise words. And um, I think you make a really good point that, you know, we first just need to create that awareness, right? That we can kind of, we can monitor our own, like what, even after we're self-aware, we still need to get to the point where we can sit back and monitor or watch our own thoughts. And one thing that kind of has helped me get a better grasp on that is journaling, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to go back and look at my writing and you know, looking at it as like the observer and it's kind of fascinating. And I think that that's such a great, like, if you want to get better and kind of key on being the, the observer of your own thinking, I feel meditation, of course, is mm -hmm. great for that. Um, but journaling also is, uh, really, really helpful. I think as an initial. Yeah. I think like if people be if paper and pencil or like, if they're looking for an app, they should Day one is a good one. Um, yeah, I've had it for okay. years. Yeah. And it's like an app that if you're if you're in the Apple ecosystem, at least I know it works in the Apple ecosystem. But it, you know, on your phone, on your computer, it gives you an alert when to do it. So sometimes it alerts me every day. If I re remember to write it, I do. If I don't, I keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So okay. So let me ask, you graduated from law school. Mm -hmm. And what happened? Like the, did you go start your own practice pretty quickly? Did you go to a firm? So Again, not traditional. <laughs> so being a JD PhD student, I mean, it, I think it's like, I like fight it. I used to fight it sometimes. And I was like, no, it, it plays out in your life. It is what Embrace it is. It. <laughs> exactly. So, um, 
being a JD PhD student was interesting because I would in law school, when you're doing all those interviews for summers, I get to the final round. I have a partner that is fighting for me. And then they come back to me and say, I, I couldn't get you hired because you're not graduating next year because you're not graduating in two years. And so like the, you're, you're told, you know, you're at, after the first year you do a summer, second year do a summer. And like the first year I did like a, um, uh, research. And then I, then I tried all those years and I just gave up and I was like, you know what, they're not the right fit for me. So I came out of law school and went into a company. My final year of law school, I worked in a company. Um, and then they offered me, a uh, like a adjusted position. Cause I was still a PhD student and I went to a company. So I started in, in house as in labor and employment. Um, and I started more in traditional labor side, although, we were at the intersection, the group that I worked in, worked in both like traditional um, labor as well as employee employee um, employee relations or employment law. So that's where I started my career. So I started in a company, which also um, gave me a lot of perspective about how to practice and what was a healthier way to practice than what firm life was. So I never really had traditional firm life until later on, and it was not even that long. Mm -hmm. So did a lot of your friends at that point, were they in law firms? And so you kind of got to observe yes. situations. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because I, my, when I, the people I came into law school with graduated in 2005. So I've been, I've been, I graduated in 07. So I've been practicing for 15 years. So they um, were two years in and I watched, I mean, they all went to the big firms. They follow that, that path. I watched Everyone made a lot of money, but they all were unhappy. They were burnt out. They, I saw people starting to transition after two, three years to different firms to try to find different experiences or whatnot. And I just was like, I mean, in law school, I always said to myself, so you're going to pay me. And this is, you know, the, that, that time they probably starting salaries were like in the one fifties around that time. So like, I'm going to do the math one fifty divided by 2000 hours, you know, 2000, you know, if you did a regular full-time job, but like whatever the amount of hours billable that you were required, plus, you know, you're going to do more. You're not paying me that much to work, to work the way you want to sleep under desks, to like be stressed out, to not learn. Um, so I just didn't find that to be appealing after I went through the experience of trying to get a, get a job and then realizing what the pay actually worked out to. So I watched them do it. So when I came out, and I started working um, as a lawyer, I was okay with one in-house. I did not get the same salary. So to be clear, but I had a great lifestyle. I learned a lot. I first chaired, you know, collective bargaining. I, I, I won arbitrations. Like, you know, I did other things that even my friends who were practicing didn't get to do yet because they were still kind of climbing up the ladder. You're right? doing a document um, review, right? And yeah. Right. So, right. So. So I, so I, I mean, but there's plus and minuses, I think finding what works best for you, there's no right or wrong. It's just for me, that was the right, that, well, that was the path that was like laid out for me. It turned out it was the right path for me to start because it aligned better with like how I wanted to live. I think it's really cool that you went in house at such an, at such an early stage in your career and it is non-traditional. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience like working at that, at the company? Yeah. I mean, you know, good, bad, ugly, you had all this stuff happen. Um, but I think it was like, it was good because I was able to learn a lot, develop relationships. I had a lot of, um, leadership focused training when I came out that helped me think about how to run a business, right. Intersect with, you know, 
I think for me today, what I can pull from that is that I realize, you know, lawyers who work for businesses that were starting a firm always think that they want to say no to a client. No, you can't do this. Like that's not our goal. Like in inside of a business, instead, it's giving being a providing a risk analysis, helping develop strategy, help seeing issues, helping figure out how to work around whatever the parameters are. So really like understanding business better, understanding how to work, work with people better, understanding how business structures work. Um, so, I mean, I had a lot of, I said, like I was saying earlier, a lot of good experience. I mean, I trained, I developed trainings. I, you know, traveled a ton as a part of my job. Um, what else? Um, like I said, first chaired. So I just had experiences that I think help deepen my knowledge, particularly in labor and employment that I wouldn't have had, like negotiating with unions, working through what that looks like, understanding the what what you see on the outside and what's happening behind the scenes. So all of that stuff, like I think it was good for me in my career. And then ultimately beyond like what I learned for businesses, it was like, oh, there's a better way I can practice and live a life that I want, you know? Um, so, and, and, and that I didn't have to burn myself out um, and still, and be a lawyer, so- it seems like you have an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, would you agree with that? I mean, today, I don't know if I thought about that when I came out. I don't think I thought about ever owning a business yeah. that, that I didn't have in my family. You know, I'm trying to think that we had business owners. So I have entrepreneurs. My brother like DJed growing up and we had yeah. different things, but like everyone worked in, you know, traditional. Yeah. So today I would say yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if coming out, I was always there. Do you think that working in court in, in the corporation maybe sparked that? Cause you, you got, you got that opportunity to see different ways. Right. Whereas like if you'd gone to a law firm in kind of the more quote unquote traditional route, you would have been wearing your lawyer hat for longer. Whereas working with this company, you were seeing so many different facets yeah, I think I think all of it came together. So like in coming out in 07, market crashing in 08, then my like right, so like also um my my growth trajectory also stopped because the market crashed. So a little bit out of necessity I needed to go out on my own to still grow. And then once I went out on my own, that's where it started and then I've been in, involved in other businesses. So like Fun fact, I used to promote parties and like things like that. And those pieces um, helped me remember, okay, I learned this about business. Okay, we got paid in this way. Okay, I can kind of like see how we can work in other situations. So I think just life experiences led me to developing more of an entrepreneurial spirit. But I do think working in a company was much was a faster track to understanding if I was going to start a business, what it meant to be a business owner. And because I had training specifically about like how to price and like how to think through like costs and like, you know, building a really sustainable and profitable, maybe not profitable the way that I think a, a, a impact focused business should be profitable, but like, how do you actually build a business that, that lasts for, for years? So. So did you start Kay Bennett Law after you left that company or did you go work for a firm? Yeah, I was more, I would say freelancing. So I came out, I worked in another like small firm, but at that point when I came out in the small firm, I was effectively working for myself. Like it was, you know, like sure under a banner of a firm, but truly I was working on my own. A lot of life lessons in that. <laughs> and then Kay Bennett Law actually started, <laughs> Well, I will say that that was how I moved to subscriptions because I lost a lot of money hourly billing. Um, 
But um, K Bennett Law started, I think, technically in what year are we in? I think technically 2013, technically it started. Um, but it, but I would say it started back in 2010 because I didn't actually name it, but I was already freelancing. Everything that I did from then till now is the same thing that happened in Cayman Law. I just was like, oh, I should formalize this. I should stop just operating this way, you know? <laughs> like yeah. So this, this is really interesting. So you said that you were doing some hourly work. You kind of felt like you got screwed, which was part of the impetus. Oh, I did. For- yeah, for the for the pack of services. So can you talk a little bit about that? I'm sure there's learning yeah. yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was hourly billing. I like I came out. Um, I came out and I was like, Well, how do you do this like law firm thing? Like I said, I was in one, but I was still doing it on my own. So like I read like Carolyn's book. I was gonna read like the blue book, but I was like, that felt like it was for like too old. It's the blue book that when at that time everyone told you to read to start a firm. And I was like, mm, I'm gonna read Carolyn's book, solo by choice. I've read that book. And started thinking through, well, like, how do I do this thing? And like, everyone said hourly. That's what I heard. And so I just was like, okay, I'll bill people hourly. And then I got into two cases, pretty back to back, where I brought them into the firm. And I was like, you know, behind the scenes in the cases, but I brought them in. And they were family law cases. We got stuck in both cases. Both clients stopped paying and you couldn't get out. They were uber complicated with so many issues. And that's why we couldn't get out. And we stopped, you know, getting paid. And so... Um, I just had a lot of bad experiences around payment and clients that I could feel was causing friction and you still had to like show up and do the things, but you're not getting paid. I'm like, "Mm, how do I like pay my own bills in this way? And so I like having those experiences, I thought, well, there's gotta be a better way. I just want to get paid consistently and then remove this friction point about money, like that they get this bill. And what happened was, you know, they got a bill. We took, I, we took a good, good retainer use the retainer and then you send the bill and they're like, oh, I can't pay this. And yes, I should have replenished the retainer, things to learn. Yes, I could have like, I mean, ideally I would have communicated earlier, but there was no transparency in pricing. So like if I was on the receiving end of that and you get the bill, yes, we did the work, but no one conceptualizes, no matter what your hourly rate is, what that end bill will be because they don't really get what you're doing. And I just was like, this can't work. And I just said, I didn't want to do it anymore. So I moved to flat fee pretty fast, had some like ebbs and flows there. And then I was like, I worked at this company. I got paid every week or every two weeks. It was great. I just want to get paid consistently all the time. And then I pitched to a client um, at the time that I had, what if you just pay me X amount a month and I just do stuff for you? And they said, yes. And that's to me. And that's how I say my subscription piece was born because I lost too much on hourly. I moved to flat fees while it was good. It was still like, I didn't, I underpriced. I didn't think through all the scoping, you know, there was still more work I need to do. do, And I wanted to remove the friction that was like payment and money and focus on building the relationship and doing the work. And that's how subscriptions came. I pitched it to someone and rest was history. Yeah. So this is, I think this is a really interesting distinction because this is not flat rate billing. This is a subscription service. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about it. Like, what does that look like within your practice? And I understand that you also help other businesses, specifically attorneys implement this as well in their mm-hmm. practices. Yeah. So what does it look like? It's like the next step past flat fees. So like to me, if you're doing flat fees today, you're probably priming yourself to be subscription. A few things I learned along the way, it's not repackaged hourly. So if you're saying, Hey, I'll do $500 a month, a thousand a month, 10,000, whatever for X number of hours, you're still doing hourly. What subscription is, is really doing 
process-driven, tech-enabled services to clients to help them across their journey, whatever that they're they're experiencing. So depending on your level, you can um, you know, um, just offer a set of services as a baseline or a set of services and some additional work, um, depending on kind of the level of client that you're working with. And it really the goal is to like create transparency, to create um, clarity, to give you uh, better ways to operate and to make your business function like a business, which is you want to be repeatable. You want you want to be able to deliver. If you're drafting a contract, if you're drafting a will, if you're doing a you know a family dispute, if you're helping someone adopt, whatever you're doing, you know, you want to be able to do the same thing over and over again. Yes, there are nuances, but eighty percent of the time we're not dealing in the nuance, right? And so, like, how do you allow yourself to focus on the part that we're best showing up? showing up for. And it's really helping us as a practice, as a business model, move to a much more effective and efficient business that doesn't have us overworking. And so I say like subscriptions are like a set of services for, for a flat fee for a defined um, customer and a defined interval. So it still has a flat fee component, but you're doing it like month after month after month with some baseline set of like access to services that could look like, you know, um, conversations, reviewing things. It could look like access to, to resources. It could look like a lot of different things. And it just really depends on who the client is and, and the things that you want to offer your client. So you design it appropriately. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction. Do you see that, do you see certain practice areas being more conducive to subscription services and some being not so conducive? I think the harder ones are contingency, right? Um, I think that's just, I think you can put the subscription mindset on, but how do you bill in that way? Maybe you have it as ongoing and then at the end, that's how you price it. So you just create it. I think at its core, a subscription business is a process-driven business, right? If you are process-driven, you're, you're, you're bringing yourself, if you're process-driven, you're flat fee, you're bringing yourself closer. So like contingency clearly because you can you can wrap the subscription in and at the end get that payment if that's but like that doesn't really how they work right um what other is i think court like things that are regulated because our our system is so antiquated and backwards i think they still always want to see hourly so if you have to i which is so frustrating it does not help the client but i you know i do say most like litigation it works you know transactional it works it it works in um you know both sides like even in, you know, I guess in public interest government, because, but they, I think already operate a bit differently, but it works across a lot of different, um, um, practice areas. The, the real issue is 
are you being stuck because you're just saying there's no way, or are you actually trying and actually delivering a business and setting it up in a way that's actually purposeful and intentional? A lot of people just go into subscriptions like, okay, I'm just going to offer X amount. Like, but who is it for? Who, what, what are you helping them do? Like, what's the end goal here? My end goal with my subscription clients is for them to hire a full-time in-house counsel. I have an end goal. Will they always do that? I don't know, because maybe they don't want to grow to that level of a business, but I'm not expecting someone to stay with me forever and ever. It is helping them get to a certain place. Um, for me, it's businesses for, if it's someone dealing with a person, where, where are you trying to help them personally? You know, is it like to have a happy co-parenting relationship, right? Post-divorce and like you de design your subscription to do that. Um, so I, I would say probably contingency is like the place it doesn't work everywhere else. Take a step back and ask who you're trying to serve with this subscription and think really intentionally and purposefully on how you're you're trying to like package and price it. And where you're trying to get them to go. I yes. Love yes. Because like I think the other part of service-based professionals, particularly lawyers, also lesson from being inside in-house. We really focus on like the things we do to help a client. No, like it's really about how we help the client along their path, right? Right. So right. you draft an agreement. Who cares? What are they trying to accomplish? Like someone who's, you know, um, coming to you for a will is not coming to you because they want a will. They're coming to you because they want their family to be protected once they are no longer here. They want to make sure that 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 all their investments help sustain their family for generations or whatever it is. And so you need to, and that's what you know. Re, Put yourself in the place of your clients and who you're looking to serve or the customers, you know, if that's what it is, who you're trying to serve and then think through how the things that you do can help support them along their path and along their goals. And then you'll be able to like add the things that make sense and cut out the things that are, that you think matter, but actually don't, right? Mm -hmm. That don't, don't actually move the needle for them. I think, I think a lot of attorneys kind of gloss over that, right? They think, mm -hmm. well, hey, I have to get this will right for this person. Right. But um, there's so much more to that and digging into what is it they really want and using their language, like in your marketing or whatever, yes. is really, really key. Yep. 100%. Right. Like, as a, someone that focuses on brands, no one's coming to me because they want a trademark. Like, that is a part of their, their, like the goals for their business, right. To, to land that partnership, to, to create that, you know, that relationship, to be able to impact their family life. And so how do you help them build these different elements? Okay. That's one, that's a, that's part of the pathway, you know? Um, so, you know, I, that's the part I think I really like about subscriptions too. It really helps take people out of the, what I offer to what I, what I do is the best thing and, and focusing more on like what the client needs and designing it to best serve both parties, not just the client and not just you, but both. Parties. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit, let's transition a little bit to the do. <laughs> did I pronounce it right? You did. Got it. <laughs> let's talk about Fidu legal um, and sort of your co-founding of Fidu Legal. I'm really curious about your newest endeavor. Yeah. So Fidu is, um, uh, it's a platform that is like the realization of like the model that I tr train and like strategize on with like, whether it's solo, whether it's like agencies, like we've done the gamut. Um, it's, a, it's the model, but put in a tech platform. So it's, it's like helps people really just deliver their subscription and flat fee services. So we are on the client experience side, which is essentially that the other thing people need to know about subscriptions, it's not just simply getting clients, it's actually keeping clients. So a recurring revenue business is built on retention. It's not built on always just selling. 
it is retaining. So yes, you need to sell. Yes, you need to bring people in, but you don't, but you need people to stay. So then you hear people in subscription world, whether on whatever they are, talk about churn. So part of it is, is to keep your churn rate down, the, the rate of people leaving your subscription lo as low as possible. And you do that by designing a really good client experience. And so what we are doing is helping you design a really good client experience that is both sustainable and scalable. So we help you, you know, put together like productizer at your knowledge. We help you systematize your client journey delivery of your services. And then we help you actually deliver the Flappy and subscription service. And so it's been fun. It's like, like we talk about like, you know, if you my, if you asked me when I was in law school, would I be um, in a tech company? I don't know. I love tech. Now that's something that's always been my parent. My father loves tech. My brothers love tech. We, 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 test all the stuff. We buy all the stuff. We just, whatever. So that's been like a part of our family forever. Um, my mom probably just gets annoyed with me. My other mom probably is like, whatever, but like, um, but my, my, I have brothers that are both like, anyway, my family, right. Is a tech. We love tech, but it's, so it's, so maybe I would have been here, but it's really been fun because it's just helping people get to it faster. It's another way to do it. And it really just helps you again, build a process driven business and get to the nitty gritty and think through, well, how do I make this, this repeatable? What's the experience that I really want my clients to have when they're working with us? And that, that doesn't mean, and like, you know, it, lawyers don't need to do everything. Like there's some part of the law that you have to embrace that technology does better and that it always will do better. But our best place is to, to me, sit in advisor, issue, issue spotter, counselor. That technology is not gonna do. They can't get into the nuances, the feelings, at least not to the technology today. And if it does, there'll be another place for us to be. And so what we wanna do is get to you, get you know the people that use our platform to like, 60 to 80% automation, and then do the rest as a service-based professional, right? Which is show up in that way that allows for you to like deliver this continuous value without you or your team overworking yourself with all the continuous hours associated with, with our practice, which is sad and unhealthy. And then also to expand who we serve, because I mean, we hear the numbers all the time. We only serve less than 30% of legal needs. And that's just not a US or North American issue. That's a global issue. And so if there's a way we could support people creating businesses and business models that allow for them to scale more sustainably without burnout, then, then, you know, that's my goal. So it's, so I hate hourly. We, we really try to help people see the, <laughs> the problems with hourly, but yeah. Kimberly hates hourly. And you know, I, I think that a, the, kind of the younger generation of lawyers really woke up and were like, this hourly stuff is for the birds. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're, we're definitely evolving away from that. At the same time, the legal world does seem to be a little slower when it comes to change. Right. So it's, it, it will take a while, but I'm so glad people like people like you exist that, that have the brains and the ability um, and the love of the tech, which helps with it um, to, to make that transition. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. I think it's, I think it's the, I think it's not something that always existed in our industry. It's just something that was just put forward, you know, within the, you know, last 50 or so years as like the main way. And it doesn't need to be that way. And I think if we look at all of our well-being stats and you can probably dot it line right back to this hourly model of like overwork and overwhelm and overcommitment. And that doesn't breed like any better outcomes. In fact, I think it breeds worse, right? But we just it's like, well, I did it. The thing I can't, I really want 
lawyers like myself, you're practicing 15 or more years. Yes, you, yes, you did that. Yes, you sat for the bar. Yes, you did all those things. But must we continue the practices that don't work? Or can we actually say, you know, that, that isn't healthy. That didn't work. And so I don't want those that come after me to continue to, to suffer through because I did. So for me, don't suffer through hourly. It's ridiculous. In fact, I mean, I'm also eliminate the bar person too. Don't suffer through the bar. It makes no sense. You went to law school. Law schools do better. Maybe move to a proper apprenticeship model so that people can learn when they come out and not feel, particularly because most people do go into solo, small firm life. Most don't go to big firm and then they do have to learn. And then you're like, oh, well, why are they stressed out? Because we don't actually run a true apprenticeship apprenticeship model. So like there's eliminate the bar and, and let's move to apprenticeship. Let's, let's, you know, eliminate hourly and figure out better ways to build sustainable and scalable businesses. Let's actually serve the community and be, you know, per, you know, intentional. I mean, I have, our industry is taking some hits, I think over the last couple of years, watching things, whether it's from the judiciary to how law schools operate to how we operate as legal professionals being so like protectionist on how we operate. Right. So like all, sorry, all the things that I guess I'm doing and how I show up is, is really to say there's a better way, right? Fidu, there's a better way to operate. My firm, there's a better way to operate. Even how we build a team, design the new legal, there's a better way to operate and, and come together as a profession. And I do hope that I, we see, I hope we're not as slow to change. COVID pushed us but I see us reverting back a bit, right? It's like, okay, we pushed in technology, but like nothing else. Let's like hold on to everything else. So I don't know. I could ramble on that. Well, no, I, I love it. I love what, what you're saying. Let me ask you, um, and I'm going to be conscious of your time. What, what do you, what is next for you when it comes to like your law firm and Fidu and, or any other um, like endeavors or initiatives that you're taking part in because one thing I love about you, like you're such a forward thinker. You're like thinking mm -hmm. many, I mean, you're thinking further ahead than a lot of people. So let me inside of Kimberly's brain. just a little <laughs> Like you know, what is Kim thinking of next? Um, okay. So I guess let's, let's go through the different business ventures. So for um, the firm, K Bennett Law, the goal is to grow with additional attorneys. So I'd like to step back as being the, and I've, and I've been like on that process as being the, the main attorney or the lead attorney on most things and bringing and building up even a bigger team than I have and really looking to partner. So I think, you know, one of the things that is unfortunate in the solo small space is that people don't want to partner. I believe the one thing we can learn from big business is that none of them do it on their own. What we can say we don't want to do is maybe operate in the same way. And so I do believe in the power of a collective and that includes in a business. So looking to uh, move that to either more of a partnership model or bring on, uh, you know, uh, maybe even leverage agency model in, in the way that the firm is um, grown, but that's the goal there me, me um, starting to take more of a step back from the firm um, than my other venture in terms of like order of how they came, which was Atlanta Legal Tech, which is also designed the new legal where we are going through a transition now. So actually it's the first time I've talked about it live. So we are, um, we had this business for many a years. And so that's transitioning to really building up a membership that's focused on legal professionals that want to build intentional, inclusive and innovative businesses, but want to do it in a collaborative space. That's really a low touch, but, um, not, a um, it's a, a low, it's a low touch mastermind. I was in low, low touch isn't the right 
word, but we are, we're a collective mastermind. We're, so we don't, there's not a coaching element necessarily in it. There's not a, it's really about accountability and masterminding and supporting each other and then connecting in between events that we have. So continuing to move forward in that space and like really wanting to move the industry forward. That's what design the new legal does. It helps me continue to be able to push people to think differently, like, and support that. And not, not from a coaching perspective necessarily, although I do coach inside of there sometimes, but really more for, um, as a, as another member of this legal community, that's trying to see us do better. Um, and then, you know, you know, Fidu, so which is probably taking up the most of my time moving forward, which is really trying to move the industry forward from a business model that I think is outdated, not I think, that is outdated, that is tired, that really supports unhealthy um, practices and well-being practices to a model that is more sustainable and scalable, which is subscriptions. And so just continue to refine that. Um, you know, we've got, we've done a lot of success in Fidu. We've you know, gotten to different parts of competition. We've gotten people to want to continue to support us, you know, monetarily. We won Clio last year's launch yeah. code. So we've, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's exciting. Um, we're still like a small team. So growing that team um, of people who want to do the same thing. So, you know, I think for me, it's just pushing forward on what it looks like to move this industry forward. I've gone over the years, maybe it doesn't always seem that way. I've always said, well, do I want to stay talking about moving this legal industry forward? Then every time I see someone say something that I feel like is antiquated or like unhelpful or that is taking us backwards, then I just want to speak up. And I'm like, well, lean into your strengths, lean into the things that like move you. And this is something that does. And so continue to really build a platform that shows people how easy it is to end hourly billing for good and to move to a better model, because I believe that effectively gives you more time to serve, to like up-level your impact, right? It's not simply doing subscriptions. Like that's great. Sure. Make more money. But, but what I'm saying is you can actually increase your impact by, 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 by detaching time from how you, you know, make, make your money and really focus on output and deliverables, and then being able to do more volunteer work, more, you know, time with your family, more travel, whatever it is to help you as an individual and then help the community as a whole. So that's where I see myself going more impact, forcing this industry to do better, to stop being so protectionist, allow people to invest in it. Cause otherwise there's 70% or plus of legal needs that are not being met across the world. And if the if legal touches everything, then if, I mean, in any other situation, if someone said, oh, out of 100, you got 27, would you say, oh, successful, you're doing a great job. But somehow in our industry, we're saying, oh, out of the 100% that we're supposed to serve, what we are, we are, you know, we are been designated to serve this community, we serve 27 to 30%, 20, we're failing. So I, I want us to stop failing. I want us to actually do the impact work that we're supposed to be doing, allow it to be across more than just lawyers, because clearly it's not working when it's just lawyers and think through like, how does this industry actually move forward in this century and beyond? So that's me. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Oh, Kimberly, that's so beautiful. Um, I want to thank you so much for hopping on here with me today and telling me a little bit about your journey, your inspiration, to do, um, everything you're working on and where you foresee a lot of this going. And what I think is, has been so wonderful about this conversation, of course, there were so many gems of wisdom from you, but also like you, you kind of dug into not just your why, but like the why behind your why, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you ultimately want to make an impact. You, 
it's not all about making more money or right. you know, helping lawyers make more money, but it's about making their lifestyle better so they can make more money, right? And right, right. Spend time with their families and travel and make impacts in different ways. Yes. Um, and provide more services to more people because obviously people need help. Mm -hmm. um, Kimberly, where can people find you and where can they learn all about Kimberly and Fadu and and potentially even um, work with you? Yeah. So um, firm is K Bennett Law. So I'm across all social at K Bennett Law. So um, it's myself typically. Yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm if you're on Twitter, I'm there. Yeah. So um Fidu, Fidu is our website. Um, we are on social, probably not as active as we should. And then I would say designing designing the new legal.com would be the other way to find us. So um, but yeah, if uh, of course I we we're we're in the similar space, so we love our brand stuff. So um brand stuff, but like if you're looking to kind of talk through subscriptions and building subscriptions, then um I have a course that they could like a quick start course that they could take and it gets them going. And then from there you can always join our membership where I provide some deeper support there. So yeah. Okay. You are amazing. Thank I you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I've been so looking forward to getting into your brain a little bit and learning more about you and your journey. And um, I'm so excited to see to see where you go, honestly. Thank like you. I think it's Thank gonna you. be really fascinating. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with me, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode, and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.